Hi, this is Kim Beavis, and welcome to another edition of DMN's one-on-one podcast. And with me today, I'm very pleased to welcome Cornelius Willis, who's CMO at Clary. Welcome. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. And what we're going to be talking about today are some themes and concepts connected with revenue operations, or RevOps for short. But I've learned over the last few months that people have different things in mind when they talk about RevOps, and certainly it's implemented in very different ways. So just to kick off, Cornelius, could you give me some idea of what you think about when you think about RevOps? Yes, for us, uh, revenue operations is the end-to-end business process of generating revenue for the company. And uh, the insight, I think, that is really formative for Clary was that the, the, the revenue process is really not run with the same rigor that other critical business processes are. If you look at something like manufacturing or logistics, or even finance, uh, companies run that with much more transparency, accountability, and rigor than they do the revenue process. And solving that problem and letting companies run revenue as a optimizable business process is the, the, the whole point of Clary. That's really interesting because one of the things I've seen in terms of RevOps is that you have, in many companies, a series of siloed departments, marketing, sales, customer service, or in B2B it's often called customer success these days. And although ultimately they have the the goal of growing revenue for the business, we've seen them doing it in, as I said, in a siloed way, perhaps with different sets of data, different solutions, and perhaps not even communicating with each other. Now, as I understand it, the idea of RevOps is to get all these revenue generating, ultimately revenue generating teams working off the same plan, if you like. Correct. That's certainly where we see the big win. Um, And you know what's so interesting about what you say? It's absolutely true. And if you look at the last, oh, let's say five or 10 years, that siloization has actually been been made worse by technology, right? right? As every every one of those departments gets its own stack and its own database, um, processes tend to grow up around that technology stack in that individual department, further siloing the function. And connecting those uh, those different functions is absolutely the big win for revenue operations. Now, is that something you're seeing happening a lot in the market? Because I, I'm aware of a lot of interest in it, but when I talk to brands, the, most of them haven't started their RevOps journey. Most of them are interested in it, like the idea, but they're not seeing how they can have marketing and sales on the same page with the same incentives and who do they report to is there a chief revenue officer who's going to be senior to your cmo and all these kinds of like organizational and structural challenges how widespread are you seeing adoption of revops you know certainly in the in the mid-market and startup community uh, we see a lot of momentum in the larger companies you're you're absolutely right there's more sort of embedded culture and embedded systems and processes and it's harder the other thing that is a real impediment, um, in our view, is that there's a there's an enormous data gap. You know, for marketers, um, we have a lot of telemetry, right? We have a lot of information coming off the website, off of our campaigns. Um, you know, we, we've had to build that build that capability to be able to defend our budgets and our investment. Uh, in the sales process, um, there's not a lot of data, right? Because salespeople don't update the CRM because they've <laughs> frankly got better things to do. And solving that problem is a really critical part of actually connecting these functions. Um, without that, there's sort of this, this you know, black tunnel 
that opportunities go into when they go into the sales force and you don't know what happens until they're either won or lost. And so providing that data really creates a, another level of visibility and connection with the other, with the other teams. And just to extend that thought, of course, customer service has been around forever and there's call center data and, you know, now all kinds of uh, social customer service. But I think the attitude has been, hey, is any of this of any interest or use to marketing or sales? And of course it is. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's exceptional, you know, in, in these new, with these new revenue models, these new recurring revenue models, where, um, you know, building, building a base of recurring revenue is so critical to the investment thesis of a company. Uh, customer success is 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 absolutely you know, critical to the the CFO and the CEO and the shareholders. And so it's not just you know the efficiency of the call centers that might have been 10 or 15 years ago. Now it's what's the utilization of the product? What's the happiness of that customer? How likely are they to renew? And um, in you know, uh, best in breed customers that we work with. They forecast churn and um, the same way they forecast churn and renewal and upsell, the same way they forecast new, new business right. and have that same level of rigor. And the, the customer service or success organization runs with the same level of transparency of sales. You highlight a really important point there because this is something we see it in the B2C space. People talk about the subscription economy and B2B, the recurring revenue model which you just talked about is especially true for anyone selling software it's no longer the case that you just find a new customer do a deal package up the software mail it off to them and say goodbye uh, you know in so many lines of business these days the lifetime customer value being able to obviously have the revenue recur but also be able to cross sell and upsell upsell to existing customers is becoming key in a way that it never never has been before is that right Oh, of course, yes. And the 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 the, the way that investors value um, these companies has a tremendous amount to do with the efficiency of their go-to-market operation, which is also which is in turn entirely dependent on how effectively they renew and upsell. And so that when we see revenue operations, we see that connection actually bringing in the recurring revenue uh, process into the full revenue operations process is probably as critical as aligning sales and marketing. Okay, now we talk about revenue efficiency in this context, and I know something yes. you're very interested in is, is forecasting. Perhaps you could set the scene for me. Why is forecasting so important in this context? Forecasting is the thing that governs the level of investment in the company. That, that, that operating plan and the forecasted revenue number is the thing that determines uh, whether we're going to pull back on our investment in the market or pour gasoline hmm. on the fire and take advantage of momentum, both in good times and hard times, um, forecasting is the critical governor. And so getting that right is what allows you to accelerate growth. And uh, when, when things aren't so good, getting that right is what allows you to pull back your resources and, and preserve, preserve, your, uh, preserve your opportunity for next time. So forecasting is central, not just to the way the sales organization operates, but it's central to the whole company. It's it's a, you know it's, it's the most important number in a company, and that's why because it governs the level of investment. Yeah, that's interesting because I tend to think of it in in terms of sales sales revenue forecasts. But you're saying you need to understand across the board what's going to happen so you can be agile and be ready to to respond in the most appropriate way. Right. How many salespeople do we need to hire? 
How much marketing do we need to do? And to, to be able to do that quickly and, and respond to the signals the market's telling you. But the challenge is, Kim, that if you don't have your, your salespeople updating the, the CRM, if they're not capturing information about the opportunities, if you don't have visibility into how the business is being executed, you can't forecast, right? It just becomes a guess. It just becomes a story that you tell yourself. But if you have data and telemetry coming off of the sales team, the marketing organization, the customer success team, and can use that to inform a forecast, um, then your forecast is much more accurate and meaningful. And without that, as uh, we say, it's, it's a question of reporting the news rather than making the news. It's, it's storytelling as opposed to commitment. So as, as so often, what we're starting to talk about now is automation, because as you say, the sales team is not putting all the data in and perhaps there's too much data, but there are ways of handling large quantities of data these days. And I have a feeling you're going to mention artificial intelligence. Yes, I am. That's, that's one of the key ways that AI can help modernize the revenue process is by automatically capturing the data about the sales process and writing it back into these systems, writing it back to your CRM uh, we capture it in Clary. This is one of the capabilities of Clary, of course, is that we look at the email traffic and the meetings and the marketing automation touches and the enablement assets that go out. We, we actually collect telemetry from um, 22 different partners, and all that forms a signal about that particular opportunity, that particular transaction that can then be used to inform uh, a forecast. But we can automate that data capture and the correlation of that with deals so that sales leadership um, can much more accurately see what the activity is and we, our system, can, can, can forecast much more accurately. Um, I was going to uh, just, just add the other place AI operates here that's so interesting is you can look at the historical execution of the company. When you have that data, you can look at how it's operated and build a model for its sort of characteristics and responses. So when any new um, deal or new, uh, uh, new signal comes in, you can compare it to the behavior of the organization historically and have a good sense of what it means to, to the eventual outcome. Uh, that leads me on to a question, but before I pose it, let me, let me make sure I've, I've got this clear in my own mind, because what it's sounding like to me, and I'm stating this a slightly different way, is that uh, the artificial intelligence can see all these activities going on, these transactions, these communications, and based on its learning, it can kind of score them to inform a prediction of the impact it's going to have on revenue. Have I got that roughly right? Correct. But the other added piece is looking at the context of your historical execution. Yeah. Right? You can look at how the organization has behaved, how it's, how it's responded to different events. And then from that, correlate that against the scored deal and see how the deal, I mean, that, that informs the, the way the deal is scored and the way the, the probability around that deal. Perfect. And that, that brings me to, to the question, which is that I think we all know that artificial intelligence uh, depends on being fed uh, a lot of data. It has to right. learn from data. And I guess the data has to be good. So isn't there a challenge here for a company if they don't have enough data or if it's scattered, if it's not clean, if it's messy, because the AI can only be as smart as what you feed it? It's true. It's true. You, you, these, all these tools depend upon having a rich body of information to learn from. 
And uh, I think one of the one of the things that we've been able to provide our customers is a way to uh, make sense of that without humans really having to be involved. Right. Um, we can see those patterns as signal. It's not a question of you know formatting things and feeding them to a, a data science team. Um, this set of capabilities is built into the product. But there's another another really interesting piece of this, and um, that is that just the conventional way of working with data is really uh, inadequate to what AI needs because right. we only snapshot, if you really think about it, the way business works, we only snapshot the state of the business once a quarter. Right? We only take a look and we say, you know, if we want to look at the history of the business, we can see what happened at the end of last quarter, what happened at the end of the quarter before that. And we get this view every 90 days. And so it's a very minimal view of how the business is operating. So one of the things that we do is we snapshot the entire data world of our customer once every 15 minutes. Uh-huh. And from that, we get a very, very rich picture. You could almost think of it as a time machine, yep. right? Where we can see how things progressed from point to point and see the correlations between the different parts of the data set. And that's what we're using to teach our AI, right? So we've got a much richer data set than sort of conventional CRM with its relational database backend. Right, we have a time series approach to data that's very different. And that sounds like about as close to real time as you, as you need to get. Well, real time and also, you know, as I say, the HG Wells version of the time machine, being able <laughs> to go and see you know, exactly how that species evolved over the course of the last two years. How difficult is it to get people to trust in the AI? Because I'm thinking this is a pretty important thing. If you've got uh, this automation, in effect, which tells you your business is going in this direction and two months from now it's going to be here and you need to prepare for that by hiring people or by switching people around or by, by making different decisions. Uh, are people confident uh, to, to make big decisions based on this kind of uh, input? We certainly see it in some customers and those that have been with us longer um, are, are, more, are more comfortable making that bet. But there's a lot of social engineering involved here. <laughs> Um, if, you, if you think about it, you know, the reason that sales organizations have forecasts, part of it is to inform stakeholders where the business is going to be. But another big part of it is uh, an almost um, it's a psychological ritual, right, where, yeah. where, we, where we ask people to stand up in front of their peers and in front of their boss and in front of their, 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 their company and make a commitment. And it's a commitment to the business. It's a commitment to themselves. There's a tremendous psychological, uh, you know, uh, reason a lot of psychological power in that act. So we don't replace that process. We don't replace the forecasting process. We inform it. We show our view and explain why we have our view, but the team still makes its call. It still, it still calls the number. Uh, just we, we, we provide our number too. And sometimes those are different, but it's, uh, we, we don't try to, try to um, displace the, the, the existing sort of um, social ritual of forecasting. <laughs> Understood. I was sitting down with our sales team here earlier today, and I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, it's remarkable, and it works. There's a good reason we do, do it that way. Okay. So we're, we're just into 2020. What I wanted to ask you to do is to, is to do a bit of forecasting on RevOps. <laughs> what do you think a year from now we're going to be on this? Is it going to be a key category and uh, grabbing the attention of companies across the board? Is it something with real staying power? 
I, I think it already is a key category. I think there are lots of um, vendors positioning themselves within that within that domain. But the thing I think is going to be really different in 2020 is we're going to see the emergence of a community of practice around revenue operations. And we'll see more and more um, sort of practical uh, curriculum around how to do this, how, how to operate in this different way with more data, more transparency, more accountability. Um, in my conversations with the with the analyst houses, I know they're making investments yes. in teaching markets, how this is going to work. Um, I think that, uh, you know, this is all in response really to sort of the, the aging of the CRM uh, technology stack. Yeah. And we're, we're working now uh, on top of a system of record that was really designed in the mid-90s in the last century. And uh, in order to take advantage of these new revenue models, in order to respond to much more empowered buyers, um, and in order to take advantage of, of the tremendous amount of data we have, uh, customers are, are, are you know, asking for something more on top of the CRM as a system of record. And as a result, lots of vendors have poured into this space, including Clary. So I think that's the dynamic you've seen at work. And now the customer's saying, okay, how do I do this stuff? Not so much what technology do I buy, yeah. but how do I change my organization? How do I change my process? Um, how do I measure success? How do I continue? Where, what are my opportunities to optimize? So these are the questions we're getting. So I think you'll see a lot of activity in terms of teaching the market how to revenue in a different I, way. I think it's a very good assessment. And it just brings me to one final thought, which I'd like to run by you. One reason I personally think this has some, uh, some staying power is how closely it dovetails with the concept of the customer experience. The experience yeah. not being just a series of like commoditized experiences, but this ongoing, seamless, frictionless relationship with a brand, which obviously has to uh, be consistent across all departments and all touch points. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. The, I mean, the, the way the customer experiences their um, interaction with sales and with marketing, with customer service, continuity and consistency is how they perceive quality. And, and we've seen this in, in every survey. What constitutes you know, a leading brand experience in the modern age? It's consistency. You know, because when you, when you have bad systems and you have bad data, the customer knows that and feels yeah. it. You know, and, and, and they've trained themselves, right? We certainly do. I mean, as, as a customer myself, I now really notice if, uh, if that's the case. Cornelius, I'd like to thank you for tying uh, a series of really interesting concepts together for us today. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Likewise, Kim. Thanks. And, and uh, let's talk again. I'm sure there'll be more to talk about in the, in the next few months. I'm sure you're right. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye now.